The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Well, it's Memorial Day. I know everyone's got big plans. Even if your big plans are to do nothing, those are wonderful big plans. Uh, but let's imagine we're all going to have a crawfish boil. Someone start. I'm like, I'm like, all right with that. Have y'all ever had crawfish? Raise your hand if you've had, if you've never had crawfish in this group over here. Oh my gosh! If you're hosting them, you got to get them some crawfish. Uh, so let's have a crawfish tomorrow. Crawfish boil tomorrow. I get a phone call. A bunch of friends from the church are going together, and we have a crawfish boil, and it is just the perfect day for crawfish. Beautiful day, great times, great friends, great crawfish, preferably the smaller ones that have just grown a lot of spice all up in them. That's what I like. And so I think we ought to do this, and I think you need to make sure that we're invited when you do this. And so just an aside there that if you do that. Uh, but we're having a great time Great fellowship, great people, great conversation. On the way home, you're going, man, that was the ideal crawfish bowl. It was one of those deals where you had just rich friendship, rich spiritual conversations with people, friends at the crawfish bowl, and you comment about how I'm glad it didn't turn ugly like they do in college, and they just kind of go downhill and get sinful. And you're like, this was a great time. This, was, this is the way it's meant to be. That's the way a crawfish bowl is supposed to happen, you know. It's just one of those deals. And so... To your great surprise then, the next day, Tuesday, you get a phone call and someone says, hey, this is so-and-so and it's your friend. And they begin to tell you how offended they were about what went on the crawfish bowl. And you're just taken aback because you're playing in your mind, you're working through going, what, what could they have been offended about? I mean, I didn't see anything going on. I thought it was a great time. And they begin to say how they were offended because there were some people drinking alcohol at the crawfish bowl. And as a Christian, they say that we, you know, we should not do that. And so you're immediately like playing in your head. Were, were, was there someone overdoing it? Was there something I didn't realize was going on? What was going on? And you quickly realize, no, you two were just at completely different positions. That you felt like there was freedom in Christ as an adult. I'll make this clear. As an adult, at a legal age, some Christians feel that there's freedom in Christ, and some Christians feel that there's not freedom in Christ. And so there's an impasse here, and there's a potential uh, rift that can happen. And so how, how do you respond? How do you respond as that one, and you get that phone call, and they say, listen, this has really offended me. Well, that's what Paul is addressing today. We've been in these... In the book of Romans, working through it week by week, and he has been in soaring in the heights of some of the deepest spirit, spirological. That's how deep it is. I mean, it's a spirological, uh, deepest spiritual and theological concepts to try to figure out Romans 9 through 11, talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? We've been singing about it. Granger prayed and helped us understand just the clear, clarity of the gospel that we are guilty sinners separated from God by our sin and hopelessly condemned in our sin. But by the grace of God, God took on flesh and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And by faith and only faith, we are declared righteous with God. Praise God. 
And so the gospel is a glorious message of reconciliation with God. And Paul then goes and and pivots at chapter 12 and says, if you have received the love and grace and mercy of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then you are going to live differently. Your life is going to reflect it. In view of the mercies of God, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are now the bride longing for the arrival of Christ, the groom. And so we read Paul's instructions and he says, this is how you prepare yourself to be the pristine, beautiful bride of Christ when he comes. And today he says, here's your instructions. When you get that phone call, don't be a stumbling block. Therefore, verse 13, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So using a play on words here, Paul plays on the word judge. He says, quit judging each other and start using judgment about yourself and what you're doing with the freedoms that you have in Christ. And so Paul says, do not be a stumbling block. So what is a stumbling block? A stumbling block is any obstacle put in a brother or sister's way. They're both Christians, but it's, it's, a, it's your use of your freedom in a way that hinders another believer's spiritual growth. It just walking down the path of sanctification, of spiritual growth in the context of the church, of community, of believers, and what you're doing causes them to stumble. He says in verse 13, don't put a stumbling or an obstacle in their way. In verse 15, what you're doing will hurt or even destroy them and their spiritual development. In Romans 8, Paul said that God has predestined that every believer will be conformed to the image of God, and that process is called sanctification. The rest of the believer's life is being made into the image of Christ. And so that's the journey that we're on in the context of the community of faith, as recipients of the grace and mercy of God. And he says, don't call someone to stumble on that journey. Don't get in the way. Don't hurt them. Don't destroy the work of God in verse 20. Don't tear down the work of God in their life. By the way, you're using your freedom. And the interesting thing is in verse 16, we see that that the thing that we're talking about, the behavior, is not an overt sinful behavior. It's, It's more of a matter of conscience. It's more of a debatable matter, a disputable matter. It's it's not a clear sin. It is something that is up for debate. Look at verse 16. He says, Now, what is for you a good thing? He goes on to say, becomes evil or wicked when it harms or offends or becomes an obstacle in someone else's spiritual development. In verse 20, he says, All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the one who eats and gives offense. So these are the things he's talking about. This is the issue when it comes to stumbling blocks. He's talking about things that are freedoms that we have in Christ that we don't always agree at different stages in our life. We're at different places and we have the implications of our faith in Christ hit us differently at different stages of life. We're not talking about black and white sins. We're talking about disputable matters. And in those disputable matters, he says, if you are using your freedom and it causes someone else an offense, 
and it becomes an obstacle, and it harms their development spiritually, you are a stumbling block. I would say it's one of two, it's, it's these two things that you could say. A stumbling block is when either A, we insist, arrogantly insist that we will practice this freedom in Christ because we're free in Christ. Get over it. And here's the Bible to prove it. That's a stumbling block. Number two, we then go further and put pressure on them to join us. If you were truly a mature Christian, you would experience the same freedom in Christ that I have and try to coerce them into expressing that freedom that you think that they should have in Christ. That's being a stumbling block. Now, in the case of Paul in Romans 14, the issue he's been referring to in verse 21, he calls it meat. In verse 5, last week, he called it certain days. In verse 21, he calls it wine. He doesn't fully explain what's going on in the church at Rome, but like we said last week, most likely what was going on was that the Jews who became Christians had been kicked out of Rome, and then the Gentiles who were Christians rose to leadership in the church. The Jews were then allowed back into Rome, and so now you've got this mixture of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and they have different positions on these things. They have different backgrounds, different upbringings, different teachings, different traditions. And it's all mixing together. And there's clearly a rift going on. And what we saw last week was some who were free in Christ to live a certain way. And others did not feel the same freedom. And the ones who didn't feel the same freedom, the issue was uh, clean meats or unclean meats. This refers to the fact that they, for generations and generations, the Jews and their families lived under the Mosaic law. And they were instructed by God, do not eat certain meats. We know of it as kosher. Do not eat certain meats. Observe certain festival days or certain days of fasting. And they had a tradition that observed a very strict uh, observance of the Sabbath. They could not even carry sticks this far on the Sabbath without breaking the law. So this was ingrained in their minds, ingrained in their psyche. It was their upbringing. And for them to all of a sudden hear that they're set free from those things in Christ, that's going to take time to, to work out. And we said last week, Paul is saying the Christian community of faith needs to be a place of love and acceptance where we're free to figure that out. To figure out the implications of Christ in our lives without fear of condemnation and judgment. Well, how does the condemnation and judgment develop? Well, the the ones who say, well, I can't eat that. I can't participate in that. They get self-righteous and they think we're the only truly spiritual ones because we're doing what no one else is doing. And the ones who feel free, they say, those are liberal Christians. They're not really following the Bible. And the ones who are expressing their freedoms of Christ are looking at them and poor, silly, narrow-minded little Christians. They're not enjoying their freedoms in Christ if they just understood. And so there's judgment and disdain. And Paul says, cut it out. Love one another. Be a place of love and acceptance so that we can encourage one another and figure in this stuff out. We're all believers in Christ. And so now let's spur one another, encourage one another, love one another. And then today he says, stop being a stumbling block to those who are trying to grow in their walk with Christ. And so in this case, a stumbling block would be those who are feel free to eat the meat and drink the wine and not worry so much about the different days. 
looking at them and saying, you know what? You are just ignorant. You don't understand the word of God. You don't understand your freedoms in Christ. So just get over it. In fact, come on, let's go eat meat together. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. In our crawfish bowl illustration, let's revisit that and think about what possibly could be going on to cause that scene. Well, imagine someone growing up in a Catholic or Episcopal or Methodist home. To them, most likely, drinking was a very natural part. Their parents, they didn't hear sermons much about it. It was just non-issue. You grow up Southern Baptist and a very strict conservative Southern Baptist, every other sermon's on it. And if you're going to be a good Christian, you don't drink. And that's pretty much up there with Jesus. And it's all about that. And then you hear illustration after illustration. You hear text after text that demonstrates the case that it says don't be a stumbling block. So you must not drink because you could be a stumbling block. And so you're raised to think that. And then perhaps in your own family you see how devastating and destructive. And you know from your own experience that your worst times are under the influence. And so you go, yeah. It must be wrong and sinful. It's devastating. I've seen it destroy marriages. I've seen people die from drinking and driving. This is wicked, awful stuff. Those two people show up at the crawfish bowl, and they're both very sincere. One is sincerely having a good, wholesome time and spiritual conversation, and one is in shock and awe that Christians can do that. And so we see... This is exactly the type of thing that Paul is dealing with. So how do we handle it? Paul's going to give us guidance. First, he's going to look at two principles, lay down two principles for us to to think about these things. I would call them gospel principles. And then he's going to practically work through some things, and we're going to flesh those out. Very, very, very practical today. Going from, what did I call it? Theological, something, spirological to very practical. All right, so principle number one. Paul lays down in verses 14 through 16. It is better to be loving than to be right. It is better to be loving than to be right. Verses 14 through 16. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. So the first guiding principle is that it's better to be loving than to be right. You can be absolutely right, but if you're not loving, then you are dead wrong. Right? Right. You can be absolutely right, but if you don't do it in love, you're wrong. Paul has made that clear all out the scriptures. If you don't have love, you got nothing. I don't care what spiritual gift. I don't care how much theology, how much doctrine. If you come at it from lacking love... You are nothing. You're worse than nothing, he says. We've all seen those churches. It's tragic. They got it all figured out. Every doctrine, everything is stated on their website. And they are the truth cops. And they are dead and mean and hateful. That does not honor God. 
When there is no love, you're wrong, Paul says. We talked about speaking the truth. We don't stand on squishy ground. We stand on the word. We stand in truth, but we speak the truth in love. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. So the first guiding principle is it is better to be loving than to be right. Now, we don't have the choice. That's a false choice. We want to be loving and right. When Paul says that he is convinced that nothing unclean, that is the Apostle Paul saying, y'all are right, y'all are wrong. Sorry, I chose them for some reason. <laughs> y'all are right. It's Nothing's unclean. The Scripture says that you're free from the Mosaic Law. You're right. But if you're being right hurts them, you're wrong. And so he says... If the way you are using your freedom causes hurt, causes harm, you're no longer walking according to love. It is more important to be loving than to prove to them that you're right. Don't destroy with your food or your freedoms him for whom Christ died. Christ died for them. Christ loves them. You, if you say you are in Christ, should love them as well. When we do harm and hurt and judge and condemn and divide and cause this rift because we are so sure in our freedoms, then we say, then we do what Paul says, we let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Because that is evil and that is wrong to hinder and destroy and hurt the work of God in someone else's life. How arrogant, how individualistic, how selfish would we be to do that? So you've turned something that was good, a freedom you have in Christ, you've turned it to something that people say, now that is wicked. And that is not what God wants going on in his church. So first, it's better to be loving than to be right. So let's be loving and right. Second, we glory in Christ, not in our freedoms. We glory in Christ, not in our freedoms. This has come from 17 and 18. He says, for the kingdom of God, here's what it's all about. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Paul is saying the kingdom of God is not about you and your freedoms. Has anyone ever seen that person who who has newfound freedoms in Christ and it is all about that? I'm like, really? Is that what it meant to come to Christ? Is you could smoke a cigar and drink beer and put it on Facebook. That's what it means to be a Christian? It's not about you and your freedoms. It's about these things, he says. It's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. And it's about the fruit of the Spirit producing a sacrificial humility and love for the body of Christ, promoting the righteousness in someone's life, promoting peace and promoting love and the joy of the Spirit of God moving in someone's life and helping them along that process. And that becomes the focus. You see, what happens when we're divided over these 
ancillary matters of, of freedoms and who is this a freedom is not a, what happens is that becomes our focus and we become all about that if if you were more traditional and maybe from a different school you might be very upset that i'm wearing denim and you'd have been real upset that ham came to church in shorts this morning and it becomes that's all you can think about and then i'm in this position of arguing with and, it, and paul saying wait a minute The kingdom of God is not about whether you wear denim or not. It's not about whether you wear shorts or not. It's not about whether you have drums or not. It's not about whether you have the older hymns or the newer songs. The kingdom of God is about the righteousness of Christ. It's about the joy of the Lord. It's about the Holy Spirit transforming lives through His grace and His mercy. He says, let that be what the church is about. And I praise God. I'm not just lying when I say this. I thank God that I'm at a church where we most of the time we get this right. I feel like this is more of a preventive maintenance issue. This is just an old change in case something comes up. <laughs> I'm just going to say, what was the date? What is the date? 29? I was like, go listen to the 29th sermon and then come back. So we glory in Christ, not in our freedoms. We're all about serving Christ. And if Christ laid his life down for them, then surely we should be called to do the same. And what that should be what defines us. The gospel, righteousness, love, joy produced by the Spirit of God. This is what defines the Christian, our sacrificial love, not our freedom. Our love, not our liberties. Is that what defines you? I think we've all seen believers who are so proud of their freedoms in Christ that they arrogantly flaunt it. They celebrate it to the detriment of others. And likely they're unwittingly glorying in their newfound freedoms instead of glorying in Christ. So finally, let's get really practical. So what do you do when you get that phone call? Simply put, Paul says, don't be a stumbling block. Don't be an obstacle. I would say verse 13, he says, be careful. Be careful. In verse 13, he says, don't put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I take that to mean be careful. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the freedoms in Christ. If you have become convinced that you can do this to the glory of God, can you thank God for what you were doing? Can you praise God for what you're doing? Can it be a form of worship to God? That's a freedom in Christ. Enjoy that, but be careful in the way you do it. Don't go out of your way to put an obstacle in someone else's life. They may not enjoy the same freedom. If they make you aware of it, hey, that's I'm struggling with that. Okay. Verse 15, let love reign in the way you deal with it. Let love reign. Paul says in verse 15, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. If you insist that you have a freedom and they just need to get over it, that's not loving. That's not putting... uh, What did we see a couple weeks ago in looking at love and the definition of love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is 
compassionate. Love is generous. Love is sacrificial. Love is humble. Love is others-minded. Love seeks the good of others. Love is long-suffering. Love is not seeking to get its own. Love is kind to his enemies and gracious and seeks the good of others. Love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. This is what we should have reigning in the use of our freedoms in Christ. It should be guided by love. So, let love reign in the practice of your freedoms. In verse 19, we see also our focus should be on pursuing peace and building up of one another. We should pursue peace and edification. That means to build up. Verse 19, so then... We pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Instead of demanding our rights, trampling over others, proving to them how right we are with the Bible, instead we should pursue peace, pursue building them up in love. We should be willing to sacrifice our freedoms in order to bring blessing to others. Verse 21, we should enjoy our freedoms appropriately it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles now this doesn't mean you can never enjoy the freedoms that you have in christ because someone may potentially be offended somewhere sometime i don't think it means that because he goes on to say in verse 22 the faith which you have have as your own conviction before god and happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves He says, listen, enjoy the freedoms you have in Christ. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy. It doesn't mean that if someone happens, it just means that if it's brought to your attention, what is more important to you? The person for whom Christ died or you expressing your freedoms. So enjoy the freedom that you have in Christ, the things that you feel complete peace with God from his scriptures, that this is appropriate way to live. Enjoy them, but enjoy them appropriately. And finally, from verse 23, I would say, Paul says, don't pressure others to come on board. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. In other words, if you can talk someone in to joining... Let me, let me look at this. We're not here to disciple people into drinking. Okay? That's not our goal. We're not here to say, come on, you're free in Christ, dude. You're missing out. Let's go. I think Keller does a great job in his commentary explaining that he even saw it in his own life. He saw a young lady who was grew up in an extremely strict, conservative, legalistic family. I think it was makeup example. And he said she was brought up that makeup was sin. And so she felt pressure from her friends to put on makeup when she left the house. And so against her sincere conscience, she felt pressure. And so she started putting makeup on as soon as she got out of the house. And he says that led to more and more deception and living a life contrary to the sincere conscience of her heart. And it led to a whole destructive lifestyle. It's not... It sounds almost petty. It's not. It's a gateway to a life of not living according to the convictions of your heart. Those convictions will grow as you grow in faith and study the word. But the thing that we should be discipling to is, hey, if you don't have peace with this, don't do it. Honor the Lord. 
Be faithful and true to what you believe God has called you to do. Read the scriptures and obey him. So we don't pressure people. If it's sin in their mind, then it's sin to them. We shouldn't try to talk them out of it. Doesn't mean we can't disciple and can't study the scriptures together. and We can't learn and grow and seek to understand the freedoms we have in Christ. But we certainly need to wait and trust that we're discipling the heart. And we'll trust the Lord to do what he wants to do in their life. So let's get really practical here. Even further. Back to the crawfish boil. We're having crawfish tomorrow somewhere. <laughs> to love your friend who called you would be to empathize with them. Ask them, tell me more about what's going on. Tell me your upbringing. Tell me how alcohol has impacted your life. And you might be surprised when they get done telling you the devastation that has been wreaked in their family. You might say, I ain't ever drinking again. Care enough to listen to what they share. To love your friend that calls you Avoid putting pressure on them. Don't tell them, hey, let me show you in the Bible what Romans says about clean and unclean. Don't put pressure on them. Don't make them feel bad for having a concern. Number three, to love your friend would be to not look down upon them as some poor, immature little Christian who does not fully understand. Don't do that. Number four, to love your friend would be, very important, to continue to include them and invite them to the crawfish bowls. It's not the right thing to start isolating them. Invite them anyway. Tell them, hey, there will be some drinking there. It better be inappropriate. But if you don't want that, then you may not want to come. But we'd love to have you. Too many times I think people say, well, I'm just not going to talk about it. We're not going to address it. We're going to pretend that it just isolates. Go ahead. Keep inviting. Keep including. Just let them know and let them make the decision. To love your friend would be to consider having a crawfish bowl without alcohol. Call them and say, hey, we're having a crawfish bowl. Appreciate what you shared. We're going to have lots of Diet Coke. And none of us will have memories when it's over (laughs) because of the fake sugar that's in Diet Coke. I don't remember what I was saying. (laughs) To love your friend, number six, would be to really care more about them than you do about your freedom. To love your friend, number seven, would be to continue to be their friend and have good times with them. This is what Paul wants in the church. I praise God that I don't see this as a problem in our church, but I pray that the Lord would keep us and protect us and preserve us, that we'll continue to be faithful as we await the arrival of the groom. Bottom line is then that love should reign. We have certain freedoms in Christ, but if those freedoms cause a brother pain or stumbling, then we should be willing to sacrifice those freedoms for them as an act of love toward them, that we should not arrogantly demand our rights or pridefully try to convince them to change their mind for you. Even if they would, should, could change their mind for you, it would be sin because they're not pleasing the Lord. They're trying to please you. Let love reign. Glory in Christ, not in your freedoms. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the gospel that brings unity in a church. 
the gospel that is not about our performance for you, but about your performance for us. That your perfection on our behalf is credited to us by faith in Jesus Christ. You make us one. We are all, all united in our sinfulness apart from the Lord. And by faith in Christ, we are united in our righteousness by the Lord. And you call us to be on mission, to love one another as a display of the glorious love of Jesus Christ for us. Lord, I pray that we are so uniquely loving as Christians, a spirit-empowered loving, not just a, a, a pretty face plastered on, but a spirit-wrought love that comes from a heart of self-recognition and in light of the gospel, that this is a place that displays the love of Christ. I pray that when we leave here, people will, will be attracted to this body of of love where we're not condemning and judging and backbiting but where we're we're laying down our lives for one another to bring glory and grace into each other's life. Lord, I pray you'd make it true, make it so much more true of us for your name's sake. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.